Good morning, church. Thank you, Trent. What a great way to begin the call to worship. Come to the end of the house. Thank you, Audra. That was fantastic. Uh, come into the house. Why would we want to come into the house? Amen. It's raining outside. And you know what? Maybe it'll rain a little bit inside. Maybe the Spirit of God will rain down on us today. That's why we come to the house of the Lord. And we've experienced that through the fellowship of His saints, through teaching in, in our life groups and Bible study, through the music that we've heard. God has welcomed us into His presence. And I pray that as we continue with our worship, that we would continue to allow the Spirit of God to minister to our hearts and to our lives. As you've, you've discerned already, this morning we talk about the incredible, the incredible act of forgiveness. First and foremost, that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus. And next, the incredible gift of forgiveness that we can share with each other. Last week, I introduced you, maybe to some you were very familiar with Gary Chapman and, and some of his work and contribution to, to, to marriages and, and through his counseling and his ministry. The book, The Five Languages of Love, some of you were familiar with, although some of you may for the first time have, have heard of that book last week. Well, this week, I want to reference a book, uh, maybe it was a sequel, I don't know, but it's called The Five Apologies, I'm sorry, The Five Languages of Apology. And in this story, Gary Chapman tells the story of his five-year-old granddaughter. His five-year-old, how many of you have grand, grandchildren, right? You know those five-year-old granddaughters and grandsons, they are so precious. I don't have any, but I can just see it in your eyes, right? Wow. Their five-year-old granddaughter came over one day to, to spend the afternoon. And you know what? This granddaughter knew where her grandmother kept her stickers. And we all know that five-year-olds love stickers, right? And so the little granddaughter went up to her grandmother and said, Can I have some stickers? And the grandmother said, Well, yes, you can, you can have three stickers. Well, it wasn't long before grandmother and grandfather discovered that there were stickers all over the house. Some of you have been there, right? And so they went up to their granddaughter and, and the grandmother said to her, just as tenderly as she could, but, but said, you know, I thought we said you could have three stickers. And you've taken the whole sheet of stickers and have put them all over the house. And, and as gently as she could, she said, and, and that was disobedient. That, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to obey our parents and our grandparents. And in the midst of that conversation, in the midst of that time of, of loving correction, the, the five-year-old realized and recognized what she had done. And oh my, the silence became tears as they flowed down her face. And as she looked up at her grandmother and, she, and her grandfather, and she said, oh, I need someone to forgive me. Wow. Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been there? Whether it's stickers, or not telling the truth, being unfaithful, being selfish, we've all been in that place where we need someone 
to forgive us. In John chapter 13, verse 34, we have been focusing on this new commandment that Jesus has given to His disciples. It is the commandment that will distinguish His disciples from all others in this world. Jesus says, this new commandment I give to you that you would love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus takes us beyond that, that second great commandment where Jesus affirms the law and where he says that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But now Jesus has said, no, we don't want to love our neighbors. That's no longer the, the standard to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. For I'm going to create a new standard. And from this time forward, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And then Jesus went and he laid his life down for us. We have been excuse me, turning to the New Testament one another passages to, to learn how to live out this commandment to love one another as Christ loves us. The last couple of weeks, we've looked at, at the one another passages in Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6 that have reminded us that to love one another means that we must restore one another when we fall. It means that we must carry or bear one another's burdens when those burdens come along. And last week, we learned that we are called to serve one another in fact, that is the gift of freedom that God gives us when He frees us from the bondage of our sins. He frees us so that we might serve one another in love. Today and next week, we look at the one another passages in Galatians chapter 3. Turn with me if you would. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 12. We want to read these, these, these short verses here and, and we'll set the stage for this week particularly, but also to give you a, a, a look ahead as we look to next week. In chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another there again is that same concept and idea from galatians that we're to bear one another's burdens and our emphasis for today and forgiving each other forgiving one another whoever has a complaint against anyone just there's that standard again just as the lord forgave you so also should you Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. But be thankful. Again, we see that, that we're to love one another. We love one another by bearing each other's burdens, by forgiving one another. And that is this expression of love in the community of faith that will be the example and witness to the world around us. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus 
giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Today we want to continue to focus and look at this passage, particularly verse 13, that reminds us that we are to forgive one another just as the Lord Jesus forgave us, so also should we. This morning I want us to really focus on what does it mean to forgive? How do we forgive? Richard Marx writes this, he describes or defines forgiveness in this way. He says, forgiveness is the decision... It is the decision to give up the right for vengeance, for retribution, and negative thoughts toward an offender in order that you might be free from anger and resentment. The process of forgiveness promotes healing and restoration of inner peace. The process of forgiveness can allow reconciliation to take place. Fisher Humphreys, a Baptist theologian, writes these words about forgiveness. He says, to forgive, to forgive, we must accept the pain that others have caused us and also accept the frustration of not doing what we want to do, which is to get revenge. Then, then, we must live with and live through all the pain until we come to the place where we no longer desire or want to take revenge. Revenge is hard work. I'm sorry, revenge is hard work, yeah. Forgiveness is even harder. Forgiveness is hard work. Wow. But the need for forgiveness is universal. You see, we have all hurt and been hurt by others but the good news of scripture the revelatory news of the new testament of the coming of christ is that forgiveness is possible and that forgiveness actually begins with god our ability to forgive is birthed and born in the god who created us and who has saved us through Christ the Lord, I would argue that the person who has not genuinely experienced this kind of forgiveness is limited, if even at all, they can offer forgiveness to others. So this morning I want us to to consider and to explore what I'd call two steps of forgiveness or two steps toward forgiveness. The first being the apology. The second being the actual act of granting or giving forgiveness. Yet even the act of forgiveness is under scrutiny today in our culture because an apology acknowledges that we have done wrong, that we have hurt someone, that we may be short and have to make amends to reestablish that relationship and to make what was wrong right. In the 1970 movie Love Story, Jennifer and Olivia, excuse me, and Oliver have a forbidden love. A forbidden love that particularly Oliver's parents have refused to bless and to acknowledge. Yet Jennifer and Oliver continue ahead and marry against Oliver's parents' wishes. And at one point in the movie, Oliver 
has made Jennifer upset in an argument. He's lost his temper. And there's a powerful scene in which he goes to find her. And he begins to apologize. And Jennifer stops him. Stops him before he can continue on. And she says, love means never having to say you're sorry. That's one of the the key focal points and emphases of the movie because later on in the movie as Oliver and his father are beginning to make amends, his father begins to say those words of apology, those words of, I'm sorry, son. And his son stops him and once again says, love means never having to say You're sorry. Church, on the contrary, real love recognizes that we have offended or sinned against another and that we must take the proper steps to apologize and to reconcile and to repair that relationship. In addition to any physical harm or relational brokenness that our sin causes as we sin against others, we need to understand that in those instances that there is an emotional barrier that is created that can only come down and be broken down by forgiveness. Church, to love one another as Christ loves us means that we must forgive one another. So let's look at these two steps in a little more detail today. Let's talk about the apology first. Chapman expresses, and I've seen it in other places, that there's at least five statements or five actions that, that need to be taken. And I think as we would look at these, I think these are words that need to come out of your mouth. These are not just things that we need to imply or, or um, let silently go between us. I think these are words that need to come from our mouth. The first being, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that I've hurt you. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. In some sense, this is what, how we express regret. We have to recognize the hurt and the pain that we've caused another person. This is connecting at that emotional level, that empathetic level that says, I have hurt you. And I am so sorry that my actions, my words have hurt you. I'm sorry. But the next step continues that idea. You're not just sorry. You're not just sorry that you brought hurt into someone's life. But you confess, you admit that you were wrong. You accept the responsibility. You accept the consequences. To me, this is the issue of, of justice, if you would. Of the law. I've, I've sinned against you. I've, I've broken the law against you. I've lied. I've stolen. I've been unfaithful. And I need to confess that I was wrong. Now, in a little side note, that I think is important, is I can't... I can't ask for your forgiveness for somebody else's sin. Now, I can be sorry 
that someone has sinned against you. I, I can be sorry that, that in our family, that a member of our family has, has sinned against you, and I can be sorry because I can feel the emotion, but I cannot apologize for the wrong that they've done. I have to own my own sin. I have to own my own action that I have hurt you and come against you. I have to make that confession. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. How can I make this right? Is there any way that I can fix? Is there, there any way that I can make a reparation? Is there any kind of restitution that I can make to, to make this right? Fourth, I won't do that again. Now this is a spiritual term, right? It's called repentance. I am so sorry that I've hurt you and I acknowledge, I take responsibility for what I have done wrong against you. And because I'm taking responsibility, I want to know what can I do? What must I do to make amends, to make that right? And now I repent of that action. I repent of that thing that, that I've done, those words that I've said, and I will not do that again. I repent. And then lastly, and oh, we, we've got to follow through. We've got to ask this question. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. I'm wrong. I'm going to do what I can to make up when possible. I'm not going to do that again. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Isn't that how we understand and receive forgiveness from God? 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, if, if we agree with God, that word confess means to agree with. If we agree with God that we have sinned, if we agree with God that we have, have, have broken the law, His law, we've done wrong, God, we, we confess our sin to You. We, we agree that we've done something wrong. We agree with you. I confess my sin. I'm sorry. And I confess my sin. And then what's the promise of 1 John 1, 9? And when we do that, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. In Acts 3, verse 19, Scripture says it this way, Repent. Repent. God, I'm sorry, I've done wrong, and I'm going to turn from that. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to be that dishonest, lying person. I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to strive to be a, a man or a woman of honesty and integrity. I repent. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We are to come to God seeking and asking for forgiveness. God, I'm so sorry. You forgive me. I repent. And thanks be to God for His grace and His mercy. He, he receives us. He provided a way for us. He made the amends for us, if you'd allow me to put it that way. 
and calls us to life with Him. But now let's move towards the second step. The second step of forgiveness follows the apology. The sinned against person offers the apology, and the one who has sinned, or excuse, I'm sorry, the one who has sinned against has now the opportunity to grant and to give forgiveness to the one that has offended them. Again, look at the five steps that I want us to go through and understand of what does it mean to grant forgiveness. And I think number one seems to be the most obvious, but at the same time, it's critical. We have to acknowledge our own hurt. This is not a proper way to forgiveness. When, when someone comes up to you and begins, it's kind of like the, the love story movie, someone begins their, their, their apology, comes asking for forgiveness, comes confessing their wrong, and, and you would go, oh, don't worry about it. It was nothing. How many of you have done that before? That's not a true process of forgiveness. The true process of forgiveness is when we acknowledge our hurt. We acknowledge that you have sinned against me. You have broken this relationship. And we have to be honest with that. We have to be able and willing to, to share that. We too must take forgiveness seriously. We must be aware of the danger of forgiving too easily. We must acknowledge our pain, our feelings, our anger as we are sinned against. I think the next thing, and this is season of discernment here that we have to do, is, is we recognize and are able to share the hurt that we've experienced. We have to believe that the other person is, their apology is sincere. I think it's important again to, when that person would say, I, I apologize, I was wrong, is to discern and to be able to confess and to admit, to acknowledge, I believe that you're being sincere right now. I believe your apology is sincere. I believe you understand the, the hurt and the pain you've caused in our, in our relationship. And I believe your apology. But church, we must understand that apology is not accepting or believing an apology is sincere is not forgiveness because I think this next step is critical this next step is simply to say I forgive you I forgive you forgiveness is a decision forgiveness is a commitment that you you must make and sometimes you must make that decision to decide to forgive that person on a daily basis Matthew 18 Verses 21 through 22, Jesus is talking with his disciples and they're talking about forgiveness. And Peter, trying to be the self righteous leader, disciple that he is, says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone when they offend us, when they come against us? Seven times? Peter patted himself on the back for being so generous. And Jesus said, No, Peter, 70 times seven. Forgiveness is a, is a commitment. It's a decision. And I think it wouldn't be stretching the text to say that, that sometimes there may only be one offense. But daily we need to forgive that person. 
Daily, we need to, to remind ourselves that I've committed to forgive you for that act. I've committed to forgive you for those words. And I will not allow those words and those acts to, to again separate us because I've made a commitment to forgive you and to walk and to live that out each and every day. The next thing we need to understand and to remember is that forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Forgiveness certainly takes time. Trust takes more time. Trust does not immediately spring back when someone says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Can you forgive me? And you might even say, I, I believe your apology is sincere and, and I forgive you, but that doesn't mean you're ready to trust yet. Trust takes time. Trust is tender and vulnerable. Trust is the emotional sense that says, I can trust you. I can count on you. I do not have to be suspicious or guarded around you. We must rebuild trust by being trustworthy. And that happens one day at a time. Apology plus forgiveness open the possibility for us to rebuild trust. And trust, trust creates the possibility for reconciliation. Notice there, when safe, when safe, we are to work towards reconciliation. See, I believe that reconciliation is the ultimate work of God's grace in forgiveness. Jesus Christ the Son was at work reconciling us to the Father through His death on the cross. I believe that the forgiveness is completed through this work of reconciliation. Yet the decision to forgive does not mean that we forget, that we condone, or that we perpetuate injustice or abuse to ourselves or to others. And because of the circumstances of sin and being sinned against and violence and abuse, we need to remember that there are many reasons why reconciliation may not always be possible. Forgiveness, I believe, yes. Trust and reconciliation, not always. Or at least, may take a lot longer to work through and to rebuild. Some of you may ask the question, I, I understand and, and I, 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 there's some people in my life that I, I need to forgive. But what if there's no apology? If someone doesn't recognize that they, they've sinned against me or if someone just doesn't want to be forgiven, someone doesn't want to apologize, someone has sinned against me and hurt me and has no remorse or regret, what if there is no apology that comes? What, what do I do? I, I want to forgive. I've been forgiven. I want to be able to move forward and feel like forgiveness is, is an essential step. What must we do if there is no apology? If you would, turn with me to Matthew 18. And I'll begin with, I think, what Jesus would have us to do, again, within the life of the church. A new commandment that I give you, church, that you love one another, and we've talked about that that love for each other must carry over into the world. But it begins with the church. Maybe forgiveness is the same thing. Matthew 18, verse 15. 
If there's no apology, what do we do? I think that especially within the community of faith, we must take the initiative. If your brother sins, if your brother sins against you, better read, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Do you see how serious it is that when, when a brother or sister sins against you, that you, you take that initiative, they, they may be unaware that they've hurt you, that they've sinned against you. They may just be calloused in that area of life. So, so take the initiative and go. Go by yourself and say, I just need you to know how, how you've, you've hurt me, how you've sinned against me. And maybe in that confession, in that time, there'll be a, a softening of the heart, an awareness of the heart that would allow that process of apology and forgiveness to take place. And this is so important and so serious within the fellowship, within the body of Christ, that that person who ultimately will not repent, will not ask for forgiveness for the sin that they've committed against others, is to be disfellowshipped, excluded from the body until that time of repentance and seeking forgiveness comes. But still, what, what if there's no apology? What if this person just shuns my efforts and says they're never going to apologize? What next or what then? If you would, look at Romans 12. Romans 12. I think this would certainly offer some instruction and encouragement for us. Because remember, what's our natural inclination towards someone who has, who has hurt us, has come against us, is, is revenge, is to get even. Look at verse 17, chapter 12. Never, that says never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So what if this person is, has hurt you, has come against you, has sinned against you, and they refuse to apologize? That's not permission to go get revenge. It's permission to as best as you can without embracing or allowing yourself the ongoing sense of, of abuse to live in peace as best you can. And to hand that issue of justice injustice over to God and to say God I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to love them with kindness but I'm going to turn over this unjust issue this hurt and this pain to you and to allow you to address that and to deal with that and he did ultimately on the cross and I'm not going to be overcome by this evil but now I'm going to commit to living in peace with this person as best I can.
But what if there's no apology? What if there's no forgiveness? Again, we must remember that forgiveness begins with God. A person who's not experienced that forgiveness from God is going to struggle, is going to have a hard time coming to that place where they can forgive in their own life. We must remember that forgiveness begins with God and oh, that we would pray that God would do a work in this person's life. They would receive forgiveness so that at some point they can begin to share and offer that. We must also remember that apology and forgiveness take time. It may take time for someone to to offer those words of apology, just as it may take time for someone to say, I forgive you. you. You have hurt me deeply. And I live with the consequences of that every day. I live with the pain and the hurt of that every day. And that forgiveness may take time. They they know that they're called to that. They've received the forgiveness of Christ. They know you're sincere in your apology, but it may take time to forgive. Remember, forgiveness does not negate the consequences, the pain and the hurt of the one sinned against. And we must remember that we cannot refuse or confuse forgiveness with trust and reconciliation. Well, she said she forgave me. He said he forgave me, but things aren't like they used to be. Trust and reconciliation, when possible, take time. They require additional effort and commitment to work forward. I'm reminded again of the power of forgiveness. That forgiveness changes life. Oh, that we would be on that journey. We would be on that journey of forgiveness. I remember the story of Stephen. Do you remember that story, Stephen? The the first that was martyred for his Christian faith. And as he stood there, as the rocks came down upon him, that would ultimately put him to death. As the Apostle Paul, excuse me, as Saul, he was an apostle, as Saul, the religious leader, of the, one of the religious leaders of the Pharisees, stood there holding the coats and the jackets of those that were throwing stones and rocks that would take Stephen's life. Stephen uttered these words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And years later, the Apostle Paul, having received forgiveness from Saul, I'm sorry, from Stephen, having received forgiveness from the Lord through Jesus Christ, wrote these words in Ephesians 4.32, Forgive one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians 3.13, our focal passage for today, forgive one another just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That's powerful. Forgiveness changes. It changed Saul's life. It changed his life so that he would write, you must learn to forgive one another because Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness begins with God. It continues with you. And it manifests itself with others as Christ lives in you. Forgiveness begins with God. Have you received this forgiveness? Have you received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus who bore our pain, who suffered for us? 
who forgave us. Have you forgiven yourself? Let me say that again. Have you forgiven yourself? Sometimes the hardest person in life to forgive is me. Have you forgiven yourself? And out of that grace of forgiveness from God, as you've, you've graced yourself, as you've forgiven yourself, have you begun to practice and to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you and lives within you? You see, to love one another means that we forgive one another just as the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded today of the power of forgiveness to change lives. And Lord, the reality of life is that we, we're, we're, we're sinful people and we sin against each other and we hurt each other. And like this little girl that we, we began with today, we would all be honest if we were to say, I need someone to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, that that you have forgiven us. I suspect that even in this room, there are those that need to find forgiveness with each other. There are families today that are divided. And what needs to happen is apology and forgiveness so that trust and reconciliation can begin. Father, there are marriages where the simple words of, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I forgive you. Can be the first steps of saving a family and a marriage. Lord, stir our hearts. God, help us to realize and to be so thankful and grateful that you have forgiven us. Lord, help us to confess and to repent and to receive that forgiveness. Because you've forgiven us, allow us to forgive ourselves so that we might forgive others. This morning we sing. Let's make our commitments to the Lord towards forgiveness of receiving and giving. I'll be here at the front to receive and to pray with you. Let's be faithful as we stand and sing.